Do you like beer? Do you like craft beer? Do you like Florida craft beer? If you answered yes to any three of those questions, and I answered yes to all of them, well, I think you're going to like this upcoming conversation with Jen Gratz. She is the co-founder of the Fort Myers Brewing Company. She co-founded it with her husband, Rob, and uh, they had moved to Florida in 2011. Rob was originally from California, and Jen had a job that had moved her to Michigan. But you know what? They moved to this beautiful place in Southwest Florida, Fort Myers, and they always had a passion for craft beer. Rob had actually dabbled in it a bit in California back as late as the 1990s. He uh, entered home brewing competitions and everything and did pretty well. And so he had a passion for doing this. And they decided uh, when they found this sort of industrial parkway area in Fort Myers, not too far from where they live in the gateway community of Fort Myers, that they thought this would be a great place to start a craft brewery. And with all these craft breweries, you got to start small. And it gained some success. You go a little bigger and a little bigger. Well, back in 2011, when they moved to Fort Myers, they opened the brewery, I believe, the next year. And at that moment, there was only 45 craft breweries in Florida. Now, there's something like 350, maybe 375. Jen's going to tell us on this interview. That's a huge explosion. But of course, uh, as you're going through that industry, many industries are regulated by government, right? But of course, the beer industry is, to some degree, more so uh, than most, uh, maybe understandably so for some. But then there's be- be- become these wars, in a sense, with the the small craft brewers and the big beer guys, right? Uh, some of that has uh, you know dissipated a little bit recently because the craft brewing has just exploded in this country, and there's definitely a market for it, where the big beer companies are now getting into that business or even buying out some craft breweries. But Jen and her husband are remaining independent, and they are actually expanding. Um, And you know what? Uh, They actually, like many small businesses, and especially those in the hospitality industry, they had to deal with their old friend COVID-19, right? And we hope we're calling it our old friend by now. But uh, you know that shut down lots of the economy, but especially bars and breweries. They were closed. Even in the free state of Florida, they were closed for almost six months. Uh, here in Florida. So, uh, and I say here in Florida because I am here in Florida right now. Uh, the last time I talked to you, I was probably uh, interviewing other people while I was in Guatemala. I will be returning to Guatemala in the middle of July, but uh, around the last week of May, I was able to come back to Florida. And by the by, all said and done, I'll have been here seven weeks, which is a little longer than I planned uh, originally. But it's uh, it's been a great time here, catching up with so many friends and family, and he, and being able to actually sit at the Fort Myers Brewing Company and have a conversation with Jen Gratz uh, in in their tap room, or actually behind their tap room, I should say. So it was uh it was amazing, and you'll listen to that conversation coming up. Also on this interview or on this episode. We have a great uh, song being played at the end by one of our previous podcast guests, Matt Brown. You heard Matt uh, way back uh, many episodes ago, and uh, we have had featured his music on here a few times now. And so uh, the song that will be featured today is a great, great uh, energizing song called Feel Like That. And I'll tell you what, after you have a brew or two or maybe three from the Fort Myers Brewing Company, let me tell you, you might be feeling like that and be jumping around uh, listening to Matt 
Brown's uh, songs. So uh, so visit Matt Brown's uh, website and, and check out his music. He's really fantastic, one, becoming one of my favorite musicians and now a good friend as well. So, And as a reminder, my name is Francisco Gonzalez, and as host of the Agents of Innovation podcast, I have been interviewing entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists for the past six years. I also am currently teaching at the Universidad Francisco Marroquin in Guatemala City, where I teach courses on entrepreneurship and innovation. So we are here on episode 94 now on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Um, also, you know, one of the things I want to let you know why I was in Florida, I actually launched my new business. So we are here uh, now on episode 94 of the Agents of Innovation podcast. When you listen to this many entrepreneurs, you just get ideas. And you say, I want to do something entrepreneurial too. Now, I do have a podcast. But what I want to do is uh, actually connect you with my uh, previous and maybe future podcast guests. So far, 44 of my previous podcast guests have uh, become featured innovators in a new community that I built called Fearless Journeys. You can visit the website fearlessjourneys.org and just read the whole story. It's a community for aspiring and ascending entrepreneurs. It's also for a community for travel enthusiasts. We're going to have a book club. We we actually already have a book club. <laughs> and we are going to uh, be taking people on group trips where you'll be able to connect with entrepreneurs on the ground in different parts of the United States and even in places abroad. And even places that are close to my heart abroad. So stay tuned for that. But you can sign up for our free newsletter. Or you can also come to the website. And if you go to the Innovate page on the website... Scroll down near the bottom, you can see the different membership levels. They start at just $99 a year and work their way up based on what kind of uh, benefits and things and activities you want to partake in. So every month, we're going to be reading a book together as a community. We'll be, there'll be short weekly emails uh, where we are at in the book and where you should be at in the book and a little summary of that part of the book with some thoughtful discussion questions with real-life applica- applications to your life. At the end of every month, we'll be featuring, uh, we'll be having a uh, Zoom call basically with a live interactive discussion about the book with other members in the Fearless Journeys community. And each session will be led by one of our featured innovators. So, our first book in the month of July here is The Alchemist by Paul Coelho. And uh, one of our past podcast guests, I believe he was on episode 45, that's Matt Thomas. He is the founder of Brawl for a Cause and also. He uh, is a world chess boxing champion. He recommended The Alchemist to me minutes after I got off the podcast with him in 2018. Became one of my favorite books. I've read it a couple times now. And we're going to discuss it. And Matt's going to come on to actually lead us through that discussion sometime in early August after we finish the July book club. So uh, every month as well, we're going to have group training sessions led by some of the featured innovators in the community who have all been uh, guests on the Agents of Innovation podcast. So that's super exciting. And we're going to go back to the number one champion of the number one episode, and that is Isaac Morehouse. You heard Isaac on episode one, and we brought him back a little bit later, I think around episode 54 or somewhere around there. Um, Isaac uh, is the founder of Praxis, as well as the founder of Crash.co. He has launched thousands of careers, uh, especially for young people who uh, decided not to go to college, or even other people who did go to college, but now they're trying to you know, find their way, uh, market and network more to get 
their skills and talents appreciated and also built. So he's going to come on and have fantastic conversation with us in August in the first group training session of the Fearless Journeys community. I can't wait for you to be a part of it. I have built this community for you because you have been listening to this podcast for a while. And what questions have I been asking these people or that you want to partake in a little bit more? What questions have I not been asking them that you would like to ask them on a live Zoom call? Uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. We also have a, a private Slack page where you can come onto the discussion page and chat with our featured innovators, with me and with other members of the community. So it's really exciting. Fearlessjourneys.org is where you can find all that information. And I'm going back to Guatemala for about four months starting in mid-July. I'll be running most of this online from there. But also, I'll be building out a trip later in the fall, uh, probably in Guatemala. Stay tuned. And um, you can find all that by joining our free newsletter at fearlessjourneys.org and signing up for one of our membership levels as well. So thanks so much. Sit back, relax, maybe grab a craft brew and think about the beautiful beaches of Fort Myers as we listen to an upcoming interview with Jen Gratz. Well, I want to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, my friend, Jen Gratz. And uh, Jen, thank you for welcoming me here to the Fort Myers Brewing Company. Thanks for having me. Well, we're in the back room. What do you call this area? Uh, this is our manufacturing or our brewing space. Our brewing space. And it's uh, luckily, it's, it's a, uh, what are we, in May? Um, and it's, it's warm, but we've got a kind of a cool breeze coming from the back here. So that's good. Well, Jen, Jen Gratz is the uh, co-founder of the Fort Myers Brewing Company. Um, probably my favorite brewing, at least in Florida. Uh, I've been coming here for a number of years. When did you open this location? Uh, we opened in March of 2013. And I'm enjoying, by the way, right now, the High Five IPA. Yes. Uh, so March of 2013 is when you opened. So uh, tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about the story of you and your husband, Rob, uh -huh. he, I know he had a little bit of a background uh, from California starting uh, to brew beer. Mm -hmm. You were in Michigan. Tell me how uh, you guys came together and what, what the story was, but what were you, you were doing and what led to, to, to this um, brewery? Uh, so the first year that Rob and I were married, we were living in California. That's where Rob was born and raised. Um, and I took a job in Michigan. And so I was gone three weeks of the uh, three weeks home three or four days and that was kind of my schedule uh, and while I was gone Rob uh, took up home brewing uh, what I didn't know was that he had home brewed prior to that in college and if he were here he'd tell you that in, when he brewed in college he brewed really bad but really strong beer because <laughs> that was the goal <laughs> yes you wanted strong beer <laughs> Um, Although, I don't know, a lot of these college kids want that light beer, you know, uh, and uh, they just chug like 30 of them. Different time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so he um, took up homebrewing again while I was working in Michigan. And when he was at the homebrew shop, he met a guy who was opening uh, the first brewery in the town that we lived in, in California. Uh, and he invited Rob over for a brew day. What he didn't know was that Rob would never leave. Uh, Rob ended up volunteering at this brewery for four or five years uh, and really just learned the ropes of uh, brewing as a business versus brewing as homebrew. Uh, we were asked a couple years in if we wanted to invest in that brewery. Uh, and I remember Rob coming to me. It was a $50,000 investment. And I remember saying, well, that's really expensive for a hobby. 
And um, so we didn't invest in that brewery. Where was this again? It was in uh, San Diego area. San Diego, okay. Uh, we ended up moving here in 2011. And as we were looking at houses, uh, we saw this industrial strip park uh, that is, was right around the corner from the house we were buying. And Rob Fort right away. Fort Myers, Florida. Fort Myers, yes. yep. Where um, we're at right now. Uh, Rob right away said, we're going to open a brewery in that industrial park. Uh, there were two other businesses in here. There's 60 or so units. So um, most of it was vacant. Uh, he was adamant that we open in the back of this industrial park. No street presence whatsoever. Um, and our plan was to brew on Sundays and our tap room would be open Friday and Saturday. And we'd keep our day jobs and maybe we'd meet some friends in our new hometown uh, and it quickly exploded. Well, you have a lot of friends in your <laughs> new hometown now. I know that because every time I'm here, I'm surprised because I showed up here about noon on Saturday and I know you kind of open around then and there was already like 20 people here and okay. us, like, and there's food trucks and it's mm -hmm. a great time. I actually once uh, a few years back, five, six years ago, I can't remember, I watched the Super Bowl here with you. Yes. So you had yeah. a Super Bowl party. I happened to be passing through that weekend. Um, I believe my friend Don Rico was with me. Um, yes. We were working together at the James Madison Institute then, um, which is actually a funny story because that's how we met. Mm -hmm. um, I was working at the James Madison Institute, for, uh, public policy think tank here in Florida. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember when it was, 2015-ish, somewhere around there. And we were keeping our eyes on policy uh, government policy regarding uh, breweries, everything around craft breweries, because it was an emerging industry. I mean, we're just talking six years ago now, mm -hmm. and uh, it's just amazing to see how many breweries are around now, especially craft breweries. But we were keeping our eye on it, and I and I noticed you wrote an op-ed in, um, it might have been the Naples Daily News or the Fort Myers Press, I can't remember where it was, but, you know, I, I get a lot, of, I got a lot of um, news aggregated from around the state on different things that I would just kind of pay attention to. And I saw you writing this, and we were very much in tune with you on the policies that needed to happen to allow more freedom for, for entrepreneurs like you, especially in the craft brew industry. And uh, I wrote you a little note. Yep. And I had no idea like that you knew like a bunch of people in common with me mm -hmm. and um, some other state think tanks in Michigan and Mackinac Center and, and Illinois Policy Institute. And, yeah. and so, um, so that was a kind of a cool connection. And the next time I came down here, I met you and had my first Fort Myers brew. Um, yes. But anyway, so that that's interesting. But let's go back to that time in a sense, because when you opened this place in, you said March of 2013, mm -hmm. um, it wasn't as big as we're in right now. No, not at all. Right. And uh, how many bre craft breweries about were there in Florida? Can you remember? Um, so there were about 45 craft breweries when we opened um, in 2013. And uh, we opened with, uh, well... We had planned on opening with 1,500 square feet. Uh, we had rented one unit in this industrial park. Uh, it was 1,533 square feet. Uh, the county came to us and said, you're going to need a second bathroom. Uh, and the, the unit only had one bathroom. Uh, and so we thought, it's cheaper for us to rent another unit than to build a bathroom. Uh, and so we ended up opening with about 3,000 square feet. Uh, we now operate out of 22,000 square feet. Um, and there are now about 375 operating breweries in the state of Florida. That's really amazing. And it's funny because when we were 
talking to you around 2015 or whenever that was when I discovered that you existed. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, there were some studies out there saying like Florida has the potential, like the economy can, can, I can't remember. It was something in the 500 to 700 range of breweries. Yes. Are potential on the scene if we allow them a little bit more freedom Mm -hmm. and by freedom, Jen, it's not like we're talking, uh, Oh, it's alcohol. We got to be careful. I mean, what were some of the obstacles from the policy side that we were talking about then? Uh, so when we opened, our tap room operated under a tourism exemption, uh, kind of like um, Bush Gardens or even something like Disney World would operate under. Uh, so we um, we still do, but at the time we had to offer tours, um, and um, that was actually how our tap room was legal. Uh, that has since changed. Now we operate much like a bar or restaurant with a license that um, isn't connected to uh, necessarily to tours and tourism. Um, we um, we also there's um, in the craft brew world there's a popular um, a popular vessel to take beer home called a growler, and the most common size growler at the time was a 64 ounce growler. And what people would do is they would come in with their growler from their favorite brewery from their home state. We're That's in an okay. operating brewery. Yeah, so that, that love happens. It. I love it. We're, this is a real work happening right <laughs> yep. now. Um, and so people, especially in Florida, because we have so many snowbirds that come down from other states for a couple months and um, travelers, um, and so they would bring their favorite growler from another state, and it's a 64-ounce vessel, and we weren't allowed to sell those um, or fill them. It, we had to, at the time, uh, we could fill 32 ounce or less or 128 ounces or more, and nothing in between. Now, why, I mean, why, that's right, it sounds, it sounds stupid, right, in terms of policy, like you, you're not allowing an entrepreneurial business to sell the most popular kind of growler, 64, they have to sell either 32 ounce or less. Mm-hmm. And you could sell two of them, right? You could, somebody could, oh, you, yeah. you could sell 10 of them if you yeah. want. Or 128 ounce or more. So the, the, the idea here is that it's not that people aren't going to be consuming as much. It's just this particular type of bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the rationale behind that? There is none. I, I, I mean, well, there... well, well, when we say there is none, but who is what? the, who is the obstacle? Um, the, the wholesale lobby fought against changing that for a couple of years. Um, uh, that shifted uh, a couple of years after we opened, and, and that has since changed. We now can fill those. And the, the biggest challenge with that wasn't even necessarily that we couldn't, uh, that we couldn't fill them because we, people could still take product home. It was... Patrons didn't understand, and they thought that we were just making things up, and they would get mad at us. And the number of times you'd hear, you just want to sell me a new bottle. No, I'm not in the glass business. That's not where I want to be. I want to sell you whatever product you want to fill in that. Um, But the government won't let me do that. Yeah, well, it it sounds to me from when I was uh, experiencing this that for some reason, maybe some of the other big breweries or big beer companies oh, yes. were the lobby against it, right? Uh, y- yes. They um, looked at it. Was it more like competition? I mean, did they do some kind of study that 
there would be some competition if you sold 64 ounce? Um, I think that the large, um, the macro breweries, I, I don't, I don't think that we're competition to them. I mean, they sell millions of barrels a year. Um, but I think that they've seen in other states um, where craft beer has really taken off and all of us together, we do um, take up some market share. And so anything that can be done to, um, to uh, hamper us a little bit uh, as an industry, not not Fort Myers Brewing specifically. Right, right. Uh, I think that there's there's some mentality there. I think that that's shifting. Right. Uh, and I'm happy about that, obviously. Well, I remember, I, I can remember where I was because um, it happened in 2015 when the new law passed. Okay. And because it, so I must have met you just before then mm-hmm. because we already knew each other. Uh, but I remember the new law passed and it was like, the amount of like things that are like basically uh, real problems facing Floridians, mm-hmm. not what size their growler is, mm-hmm. but the amount of time and mm-hmm. energy that was spent on both sides of this issue mm-hmm. to simply allow people the freedom to have a 64 ounce growler. Mm-hmm. Mind boggling to me, especially when you're in Tallahassee and you're like, yeah, you know, like there's a lot of people that need health care and education and like there's environmental concerns and there's all sorts of things people could be talking about what we're talking about this but i but i do remember when it passed and of course in florida most laws go into effect on july 1st Mm -hmm. and i was at the proof brewing company in tallahassee on july 1st unfortunately i didn't i could i didn't buy a growler that night because the next morning i was flying to greece for a 10-day vacation Mm -hmm. um so i was like it makes no sense to take home a 64 ounce growler tonight because it's i'm not going to drink it and it's going to be sitting in my fridge but I did go uh, celebrate at Proof, and so that was great. But it was almost like this thing that was like this long battle. It, it was, was years. That was like, when it, when it finally ticked over, you're like, this is what we've been fighting for. Uh, it, it, it really, um, it, I knew, uh, I, I was in the industry for three years before that shifted. I believe that there was um, a battle um, a political battle before we had opened. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was it was years to get a 64-ounce bottle approved. Uh, and I do recall one of the arguments against it was, well, if people take this home and home, uh, th- there was a whole home delivery element. And it's really interesting now, now today yeah. because now all of a sudden we're letting people take cocktails home. And, um, and so all of those arguments in... A relatively short amount of time are, are, are have been negated. Yeah. Now, um, some of the other issues, maybe there's still lingering issues in this industry. You can tell me. I remember. Uh, so there's the three tier distribution system. Yeah. So it's interesting. You you all won an award a few years ago for being um, the best. Largest brewery in Florida is that? Tell me the name of the. the it was award. the um, in 2016. Uh, it's the best Florida beer awards, and it's um, we regard them as a as probably one of the highest. Not probably, we regard them as some of the highest honors in our industry um, because they're voted on by uh, by other brewers. Uh, so, um, and in 2016. We were named the best large brewery in the state of Florida, uh, and large is uh, 
it's it's kind of funny. <laughs> um, I still don't consider ourselves large. Yeah. Uh, we're we're, not, yeah. we're uh, we're relatively small in the grand scheme of things, but in Florida, we are one of the larger breweries. Yeah. So, um, so even with that said, so I know if people come here and you're in the gateway community of Fort Myers, we're just a, uh, like right across the street from the property owned by the airport, Yes. the Fort Myers airport, um, which is growing a lot of flights that come in here now. And we are right down the street from, uh, Florida Gulf coast, uh, university, which is also growing. Yes. Um, so it's a cool, but we're in an industrial park and you remember you started in a small part of this and you keep expanding, knocking walls down, all this stuff. Um, what is your beer volume? I know people can come here and and buy your beers fresh on tap. By the way, I just started the second beer. What am I drinking? You're drinking clean shave right now. Clean shave. And this is an IPA. It sure is. Yeah, it's good. I think this is my first time I've had clean shave. Uh, It's a uh, fan favorite. It's, um, not widely available. It's available in our tap room, whereas High Five, which is what you were drinking before, you can get in just about any bar or restaurant in this area. Southwest Florida. Yeah. But you you're, you can only find Fort Myers Brewing Company beers in Southwest Florida, right? Uh, yeah, for the most part. We we have a couple taps up in Tampa, restaurants that have expanded from Southwest Florida. Um, but we've really made the conscious effort to, um, uh, to, to go deep. Um, in our backyard. And so um, we still can't keep up completely with our backyard. So we, we're very um, content with uh, producing beer for Southwest Florida and telling people that if they want to have Fort Myers Brewing Beer, they have to come to this great area of Florida. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, and you should. It's uh, some of the most beautiful beaches uh, in Florida, Southwest Florida, the Gulf, the Gulf Coast here. So, uh, if, if those those who might be watching this on YouTube cannot see what I'm looking at, because on the other side of the camera, I'm looking at like a couple hundred kegs over here. <laughs> how much um, how much volume do you get out each year now? I guess whatever you want to call it. And and, and, and uh, you just mentioned it goes to a lot of the bars and restaurants in southwest Florida. But how, how much are you doing now? Yeah. So when we opened, we had the capacity to brew about 350 barrels a year. That's how... Um, our, our fermentation space, um, that's how much fermentation space we had. We now have the capacity to do about 15,000 barrels a year. Um, wow. And so, that, so 300 and something to 15,000. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's Southwest Florida is very seasonal, so there's some seasonality challenges to that. Um, you know, we, we can't max out our fermentation space in July uh, because in, then we wouldn't be able to keep up in February and March. And that, that was one of the, uh, from a business standpoint, specific to a very seasonal area, um, that was a, a big lesson to learn. And the quicker someone learns that in a seasonal um, area is really important. Yeah. And for seasonal, for those that are not from Florida that don't understand this, seasonal in Florida, like the high point is really about November to April, roughly. Mm-hmm. Um and so we're now actually in, in late May. This is a weird year, though. It's like it doesn't sure exist. <laughs> um, so there may be more people. In fact, I came over from uh, Palm Beach County today, and I was telling Jen, I said, wow, there's so much traffic on Alligator Alley. I've never seen this kind of traffic uh, on here at Saturday morning at like 10 a.m. So people are coming to Florida in droves more than ever, and they're not coming just during the season anymore. Oh. Um, so I'm sure it's been a weird year. Speaking of weird years... Um, 
Well, what, we talked about uh, the, the the distribution process, right? Mm-hmm. The, with the so you guys have to, you can't just distribute your own beer, right? Uh, that's correct. Um, and that's according a, to the law. According to the law, yeah, you, and that's will, less, you might be able to if you less if you want. of a challenge now at our size. It's a, a huge barrier to entry for um, for new small brewers. Uh, so a Flor- Florida law and uh, this is actually the law in 35, 36 states. Um, you have to use a distributor um, to get your beer to restaurants, bars, um, convenience stores. So uh, the manager at any given restaurant can't call up Fort Myers Brewing and say, hey, I want to order a keg of high five um, and us go deliver it to them. It has to go through a third party distributor. Uh, and, um, and they also, by the way, can't call up and say, Hey, we think something's wrong with this keg. It's the carbonation, whatever. Um, and we can't go fix that. The distributor has to do that. Uh, and there's long standing, um, reasons for that. There are a number of states that have shifted, um, to allow, uh, breweries. Some of them have, you know, size restrictions and things like that. Um, to allow breweries to self-distribute um, to a number of accounts. Um, and that, early on, that, that's, that's a challenge. Um, you know, d- distributors only have so much bandwidth. Um, they want to see a brand that has already grown and taken off. Uh, and so to allow a new and emerging brewery to go build a route and get their first 50, 100 accounts um, could be really useful to new breweries. Once you've, once you're at, uh, where we're at now, I I can't imagine trying to do that myself. The distributors do it so well. Um, they've got, um, they've got that business built. Uh, and so to rely on, on them and to partner with them, um, is, is a necessity in my opinion. Um, but early on, it would be really useful for new and emerging breweries to be able to self-distribute a little bit. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, Let me add one more thing. The other the other um, unique thing to our industry um, is the franchise law. Uh, in Florida, um, our contract with our distributor is lifetime. Mm. Lifetime. Lifetime. Yes. Uh, there are there Who, are. Can some... either party break that? Um, the distributors, I believe, have a little bit easier way to break it. But it, it, we just went through this. We didn't. Fort Myers Brewing didn't. But a number of breweries in in our industry, um, they were with a, another distributor, not one that we're partnered with. Um, and that distributor sold their business. Uh, and they had to go with whoever they sold to. Um, it, mm. It's... Uh, so their distribution rights were sold to someone that they necessarily, they may have never met with them. They may have met with them and decided not to go with them. Um, and now they're partnered with them because the franchise law in the state of Florida is lifetime. Yeah, that's really strange. I mean, what if they went with someone that you did, like you knew and you didn't like? Yeah. Like, you know, wow. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, that's really interesting. Uh, the other, you know, I was thinking about... For the last five years, I've lived in Baldwin Park in Orlando mm-hmm. uh, before I took my little venture to Guatemala. Um, <laughs> and 
just a few years ago, I think maybe three, two or three years ago, um, Tactical Brewing Company opened up in my neighborhood, which is super cool uh-huh. to have a brewery in your neighborhood. But it's interesting because when they first opened up, they were not open every day. They're still not open every day. I think to this point, they might be closed one day, which would be natural for a business. But they were at first, they were open like three days a week. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was weird. Uh, but I started, I talked to them and they said, they're so small. Mm-hmm. They have a couple of these big tanks that you got behind us, and um, and you can smell it, by the way, when you're walking by. Uh, and uh, it smells good, actually. But they said, um, yeah, we they only brew in their tap room. Like they, you could only get their beer in their tap room. Yep. That's how small they are. And they said we can't be open more than at that time three days a week because that's all the beer we can brew. Yeah. And and now they're open like I think six days a week. You know, and um, but they still only you could only get their beer at their tap room. Now, I I'm, I could be speaking out of term if I didn't hear an update in the last six months, but I'm pretty sure that's it. But that's for a lot of small yeah. craft breweries. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about hearing what you said about in the early days, it's really tough to get. To, so even if they were able to brew more, mm-hmm. which might be a challenge for them in the small space they're in, um, it, it might be tough for them to to, to go get that to different markets. It, uh, yeah, it, it sounds like they're doing it right um, because the because of the restrictions on self-distribution, the way to build a brand, a, a craft brewing brand in the state of Florida is to um, build your tap room and to, uh, to build that momentum through your tap room, test recipes in your tap room. And so it, it sounds like that's exactly what they're doing. Um, and then... Uh, when they're when they're ready, uh, it's, and when they have that um, momentum uh, and that brand awareness, uh, they will be um, they'll be attractive to a distributor and the, and attractive to bars and restaurants. So building kind of that demand initially, um, to me, that's really smart. Yeah, good. Well, uh, Jen, so uh, you know, it's it's funny when you're doing a podcast about entrepreneurship. Um, you want to tell the people's story. You want to let people tell their story and you want to hear about all these exciting things. And of course, in any entrepreneurial venture, um, lots of there's lots of risk. There's <laughs> lots of things that um, unexpected that uh-huh. come up. But 2020 threw us a huge unexpected. It seems like now every conversation I have in the last six months, maybe a year, has involved our old friend COVID-19. Uh, and I it probably just got like a flag for saying that. Um, I just I just use the word the virus on social media okay. now, so I'm not like flagged with you're talking about COVID nineteen, and uh, we have other thoughts on that. So anyway, but entrepreneurs were dealt a huge um, bump in the road, and uh, including people who sell alcohol. Um, and so tell us, uh, and and also I know you have some other um, expansion ideas. Mm-hmm. I was I, I I was trying to remember the last time I was here. It must have been 2019. Had to be. Um, unless it was at the beginning of 2020, but I couldn't remember. And I remember when I was here, and I've been, I, it's funny, I was just telling a friend today, I said, you know, I've been trying to interview Jen for the Agents of Innovation podcast <laughs> for like five years because I've <laughs> I been wanting, I knew that. <laughs> well, I've been wanting to like, you, first of all, it's like my favorite craft brewery. I've been <laughs> wanting to have a craft brewer on. It's such a huge, cool industry. And, and then, you know, I'm not always in Fort Myers, maybe once or twice a year. But also, uh, when I came here, I think in 2019, you told me 
hey, we're looking at buying some property next door that's owned by the government and because it's near the airport. Um, and, and I said, Ooh, let's, let's, let's not do the podcast now. Let's, let's come back. So little did I know 2020 was going to happen and I have to come back two years later, but tell us, uh, where you were and where you are in that whole enterprise, but also how COVID-19, uh, how, what the experience was like. Okay. So I'm going to start with COVID and then I'll, I'll talk about the, um, expansion plans. Uh, so, um, as as things were shutting down, I called one of one of the people that I consider uh, one of my mentors in business and entrepreneurship, and uh, I said, "I feel like we're doing it all wrong." And you were hearing di- different businesses were handling it very in in very different ways, uh, and I said, "We've we're keeping pretty much all of our staff as of now." Um, we're, I mean, we're cutting as much expenses as possible, but we can't, we already run lean anyway. And we're, um, you know, when things do open back up, we can't afford to train people in the back again. Uh, Mm. and, but we're also spending an incredible amount of money uh, for payroll, not knowing when we're going to open back up. And he, this was about late March. This was, Yeah. And he said to me, it was bef- it was before there were any um, thoughts of PPP programs or anything like that. At this point, you're you're just holding on to whatever you can hold on to and trying to make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said to me, he said, Jen, none of us have been through this before. There's no right way to do this. There's no wrong way to do this. Um, and in some respects, that was that was very scary. We are in unprecedented times, yes. as every email has told us. Yes. I know I've sent a million emails that way too. Um, in other respects, it was comforting to know, okay, we're all in the same uh, same place. We're all just trying to do what's, what we believe is best for our business and hoping that we're making it the best decision possible. Uh, and so that was, that was an eye-opening conversation uh, very early on in... Um, in the virus, I'm I'm glad it, I'm glad you described it as um, our um, uh, our old friend because it means old. It maybe hope, is moving on. I hope on. it's old. I hope it's old. <laughs> uh, so uh, in the in the middle of all this, we had been working on um, an expansion plan for. We started working on it in 2016, actually, and I've not, I've actually never told this story publicly before. Um, we. So the exclusive, yeah, um, we we started seeing signs pop up on land around where we're at, um, and it was land that the port authority owned, and it was for lease. And so we reached out to kind of find out what what this was about, um, and didn't get much information out of the gate. Uh, but about a year later, we we um, someone reached out to us and said. Um, yes, there's this specifically this 20 acre parcel that we were interested in that is adjacent to our current facility. Um, and it's across a major road from the airport. And so we had went through for years, literally years, um, negotiating a land lease, um, for, uh, this parcel. And by the time we were getting close to where I know the port authority was comfortable, Rob and I looked at it and we said, this is, we're going to, 
We're going to spend. I'm waiting for Laverne and Shirley every time I hear that buzzer. <laughs> We're going to spend an incredible amount of money building a facility on land that we don't own. Uh, and um, we, we got a little nervous about that. Uh, and we sat down with a couple county officials and I, first of all, for many years, we were told that they would never sell this land. And so we were, we had resigned ourselves that if we didn't want to move out of the area, um, we needed, like, this was the parcel and we were going to have to do this land lease. Um, we sat down with a county official and, um, he, to his credit, um, put together that the, um, land that we were interested in was completely detached from the airport. And he said, well, why don't we just sell it? Um, now just sell it is not an easy task. It has to go up for a public bid. Um, and then there's all kinds of hoops to jump through because, um, not only is it, um, county owned, uh, but because it's, um, through the port authority, the FAA has to sign off on the mm. sale. So now you've got the federal government involved. So we essentially picked. So probably, this might be like 50 years. <laughs> yeah. We, we probably picked the hardest parcel, um, possible to purchase. But, but so close to where you're at right now. It, it, the land touches the parking lot mm. of where we're at. And that, wow. that's why it's, it was important to us. We built a really nice following. Um, we love being in the gateway area. Um, uh, Gateway has really embraced Fort Myers Brewing. I, I, all of Fort Myers in Southwest Florida has, but Gateway early on really. Especially did. the people that come here on a regular basis. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so the land went up for public bid in December of 2019. We won that public bid. And then in on Thursday, March 12th of 2020, the county commissioners um, voted on that land. Now, <sighs> Thursday, I remember the date. Uh, like yes. cold yes. Um, because it was that afternoon that the um, stadiums, the Red Sox Jet, Jet Blue training. Stadium yeah. is right up the road from us. And um, the Minnesota Twins have a stadium two or three miles from here, eh, a little more than that. Um, uh, but the stadiums shut down. And then four or five days Where after Where a lot that, of your beer is sold. Yeah, yes. yeah. And then four or five days after that, our tap rooms moved to go only. Uh, mm. And so... There was a moment where I thought, and it's more than a moment, um, there were there was maybe a couple months where we weren't sure if the expansion would happen. Um, but I'm happy to report that it is happening. Um, yeah, we um, we've been working very rapidly now on um, those plans. Uh, we have uh, we're in the middle of all of the permitting and orders that we have to get. Uh, the Army Corps came back in December and said our plans were good. Whoa, you had to deal with the Army Corps? We sure did. So you're talking about the FAA and now the Army Corps. <laughs> yes, for a parcel that is in... For a brewery expansion. Well, and I mean, we're not connected to any water. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but uh, the Army Corps came back in December and said good to go. Um, and so now we're um, working through zoning and development orders and things like that. Learning a lot about um, uh, about development, land development. Yeah. You know, you might be able to apply that somewhere else one day. Uh, yes. Yes, maybe. <laughs> so, okay, so you had to deal with... So let's go back. So this was the land acquisition, and you're going to break ground later this year, do you hope? We, um, Yeah, we think... 
we think it's still possible to break ground break ground later this year, um, if not later this year, early next year. Um, the timing of it is, is because we're so seasonal, um, the timing is really important and has to be very strategic um, uh, because mm. we're going to open. move equipment. Um, so we're going to have to take equipment offline uh, to do that. And so we don't want to do that. In mid-season. Or even going into season. Yeah. Like, there's, uh, a couple months where it, uh, where it makes sense to do that. Um, so the timing of all of that will be will be very strategic. Good. Well, Jen, um, so we talked about the land acquisition and you, you spoke about the early days of COVID. Mm-hmm. And how did you weather COVID and, and how are you doing now? Um, COVID was scary. Uh, and I, I, I mean, imagine. other than the health effects and no, 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 all no, the no. right. I mean, we're talking about the business, business. right now. I was, yes. Business wise, I was early on. I was scared. I, I mean, I the the worst case scenarios were running through my brain. Um, looking back, I wish I would have taken that time and relaxed a little bit um, uh, because um, I I've often said in the past few months, uh, I don't think that you could overestimate. Um, how scared we were back in March of 2020. Um, and I don't think that you could overestimate how optimistic we are now today. Um, uh, there's, I mean, it, our, our tap room was shut down unless, we, um, unless you made special arrangements, which we did. Um, our industry tap rooms were shut down for 10 days shy of six months last year. Wow. Uh, that's a... That's a long, long time. Um, and then you put on top of it that restaurants were shut down for many months. Um, and even so, in even in the free state of Florida. Yes. 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 I, I mean, know that's shocking. We, we were right we now. were shut down for almost two months. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so we were hit doubly hard. Sixty seven percent of our business comes from bars and restaurants and convenience stores um, outside of this facility. Uh, and so that went to zero uh, immediately. Um, and then our tap room ran at about, as to go only, um, ran 50, 60% of what it normally would run. Um, that's, a, that's a huge shift. Um, but And you're uh, keeping all your employees? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the, the the most important thing to us when we started really trying to figure out how to navigate it um, was making sure that our employees had health insurance. Uh, that's one of the things that we did a couple years ago. You know, we're not at the size where the government requires us to offer health insurance. Um, going into COVID, we had less than 20 employees. Uh, and um, so that became our number one is how do we keep people insured? Because if if they get sick, they need health insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then number two was how do we keep our team intact so that when we can open back up, we're not rebuilding completely. Um, and we now have 29 people on payroll. So uh, from that perspective, we've grown a little bit. Um, and yeah. Wow. So you've got more people on payroll now than you did pre-COVID. Uh, yes. And part of that is we were really lean pre-COVID. Um, and in the thick of COVID, we realized there are obvious, obvious benefits to running lean. Um, but we were really trying to operate 
um, multiple teams so that if something did get into our facility, uh, people had been, there, there would be a team that wasn't exposed um, and so that we wouldn't have to shut down operations. Um, we, we never got to the size where that was the case, um, but that we started to become a little less lean uh, because of that. Um, and thankfully, we never had to shut down operations. Um, or I should knock on wood. I shouldn't say that quite yet. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, we, we navigated COVID um, fairly well, I think. Yeah. So state of Florida, once restaurants and bars were shut down, uh, I think the governor issued an executive order or something that said you could have to-go drinks, right, in, in an effort to try to help those restaurants and bars and breweries, right? Uh, but tell not me, breweries. Not breweries. Breweries were exempt from that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you couldn't even offer anything to-go? I'm sorry. We, well, we we offer our to-go products on a regular basis, um, mm. but we couldn't offer we couldn't offer delivery. Um, there there was something in there that uh, in his executive order that signaled back to a section in older um, legislation. Um, that precluded microbreweries from delivering product. Um, we were able to offer our products to go, just like it, it, we've always been able to offer our products to go. Okay, so that that was able to to, to happen. And well, because I was thinking about, I was um, in my neighborhood of Baldwin Park. By the way, I love Baldwin Park, and I say I talk about it a lot. But the cool thing is, there's a lot of cool restaurants and bars and. My, my cigar lounge and everything that's in my neighborhood about five to seven minutes walk away from where I lived, including Tactical Brewing Company. And yeah. so, you know, I didn't, I don't know if I ever purchased anything to go at Tactical Brewing. Maybe once. I don't remember because it was just easy to go down there and grab a beer if you wanted one. Right. But I said, oh, I want to start supporting them. Yep. And I need my craft beer. So I would, I would stop by and grab a six pack or something on the way home. And, uh, and so that was, a, so I remember that sort of happening right from the get-go. Uh, yeah. And we were, I, I consider us so lucky. Um, I, and this is where I go back to the Gateway community and really all of Southwest Florida has, never have I been more aware of how much they've embraced Fort Myers Brewing mm. um, and sustained us through um, those many months of being shut down. So Restaurants, bars, um, all of us were shut down March 17th-ish of 2020. Um, anyone with um, food uh, was able to open up in early or mid-May. Um, and at the time, the state had made... Um, they. There's Laverne and Shirley on the line again. <laughs> um, they had uh, made it known that it didn't have to be food with your own license. And so we have food trucks. We've had food trucks on site every day we've been open since 2013, um, with a rare exception when a food truck cancels last minute or something like that. Um, so we've always had food. Um, it's just never been licensed in our name. And so in, we were able to reopen towards the end of May. Um, and um, But then that quickly ended, end of June, um, bars, breweries, um, anyone that didn't have a food license in their own name, we were re-shut down. Uh, and that was the hardest shutdown. Uh, and that was... That was in June? 
That yeah, that was end of June until I want to say the end of September. Well, you know who I blame for that? Those kids at UCF, those college kids. Now I remember living in Orlando and all the kids. As soon as all the restaurants and bars open, they all swarm the bars in the summer. I mean, what what else are college kids going to do? Uh, yeah. And they didn't really feel like they were susceptible as much, other than they may bring the virus back to other family members who were. Um, but the governor, that think at that point, said, "All right, we gave you a chance, and you didn't show responsibility, so we're we're shutting the bar industry down." Well, and that was yeah, that was exactly it. It wasn't a shutdown of the bad actors; it was the entire industry mm-hmm. that got shut down. And we were, I feel like we were being as responsible as we could be. We we still have tents up outside to keep people um, outside and spread spread apart. Um, we had plexiglass up at the time. We were in masks. I mean, we were we were uh, we had limits on how many people could sit at a table. We we were doing everything we could to be responsible. Um, but because of a handful of bad actors, the entire industry was shut down. And then it became. It wasn't just having food. The food license had to be in your own name. So we bought a food truck. Um, it's still parked in our parking lot. We've, is it um, the Fort Myers Brewing food truck? Or what's we never it really named it. Oh, you never named it. Um, we've never really served anything off of it. We just we we bought it so that we could have the license in our name, and we continued using food trucks, um, the food trucks that we had always used before. I, they also needed the support. Um, they had been uh, affected by all of the shutdowns and, um, uh, and you know, they, they needed to be able to go to the businesses that they, they were used to operating out of. Um, and so that was, we didn't have to actually sell food. We just had to have the license in our name. Interesting. Well, uh, Jen, let's get back to the beer. Cause okay. I just started a new beer. Uh, that, that's high five. This is high five also. I think so. I didn't I had pour a high, it. I had a high five already. I think it's something else. Oh, maybe I would have to Unless you poured me another high five. It might be. Actually, it tastes similar. Yeah. So anyway, um, but what was the evolution? How many beers, how many different types of beers did you start with? I see you've got seltzers now. I hate the White Claw crowd, but I know you have to cater to them. Uh, So (laughs) (laughs) apparently they're doing well Uh um, from what I hear. But anyway, tell us a little bit about the evolution of the beer. And I know Fort Myers Brewing Company has won a number of beer awards over the years. They tell- beer and seltzer awards. Please brag. Oh, gosh. <laughs> There's seltzer awards? There are. What has this world come to? <laughs> um, so when we opened, we had four of our own beers on tap. Four. 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 Uh, we've now cycled through 200 plus different recipes of beer. Um, we, at any given time, we have 20 to 25 beers on tap. Uh, we have seven flavors of seltzer, uh, and um, we have five. So cool- seltzer, what, let me, <laughs> let's just, let's just go into this because this is this is kind of like the White Claw crowd, right? Um, is this right? Am I am I getting this wrong? No, it it isn't. It isn't. So we we started developing seltzer a couple years ago, um, and we released. Is this alcohol? It is. Okay. Um, it's it's called spiked. It's our hard seltzer. Spiked. It's five um, percent. Uh, ABV, zero carbs, zero sugar, zero zero artificial. That's sweeteners. no fun. No carbs, no <laughs> sugar. What? There's a lot of people trying to be healthy. <laughs> Me being one of them. I just don't drink beer when I'm healthy, but yeah. I guess that's what you drink. Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, so this gives people a choice. It's um, crystal clear uh, and um, and extremely refreshing, uh, and it's brewed like a beer. Uh, and um, then we just strip 
some of the flavoring out of it. Mm. it we um, So we started developing this and we released it on tap in our tap room. Very, very much like how we talked about earlier. We were testing, test it, yeah. testing the product, testing the market. We knew it wasn't exactly where we wanted it to be, um, but we wanted to get some feedback. So we released it on tap in our tap room, thinking we were about 95% of the way there. So it wouldn't take us long to bring the package product to market. Um, that last 5% of product development took us over over a year and a half. Um, Wait, when did you start it? We started a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, and it it was um, it was really hard. We're really proud of this product. I, I will say that. Um, it was really hard to get it crystal clear and to get none of the off flavors. And we also didn't want to add any artificial sweeteners. Um, and a lot of the big brands, um, they add artificial sweeteners, um, I assume partly to mask some flavoring and things like that. Um, so... Um, we we released this in package in early March of 2020. <laughs> uh, uh, a um an interesting time to be releasing a brand new product. Um, but it it really it's taken off. Did it sell in stores? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's available locally in Publix, Target. So I bet Walmart. I bet I mean could, could could I throw a bet here and say. That might have been actually a really good product at that time because people were just swarming the grocery stores. It, um, y- yes, it definitely helped us. And weather. they were drinking more it, when yeah, they shouldn't it, have been. It helped us weather all things COVID. Um, and I have to say, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of talk of supporting small businesses um, right now. Um, I do have to give a shout out to the big businesses in the area because they reached out. They, we got calls from some of the biggest businesses in the area saying, send us everything you've got. Mm. We will put anything you have on our shelves. Um, we, To their credit, they recognized that they needed small businesses to survive as well. And so, because of the supply chain. Right. They needed the supply. And so it was, um, I, I, I'm really grateful for that um, and for the way that that, that turned out. And so um, we, we created this, um, a lot of our, my, my husband now drinks probably more seltzer than beer, maybe 50, 50. Um, and so, um, we, the label, everything was created to, um, to make sure that it was available and approachable by anyone and everyone. Good. Well, you know, you, so we've talked about a few things on this conversation that I want to talk about. Because as we think more about innovation and entrepreneurship, first of all, the collaboration that happened between you and some of those bigger businesses, that's pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, when you study innovation, collaboration has to be part of it. The other thing is, as the craft brewing industry was emerging in Florida, and you were part of that, there was, you know, you were Maybe you were fighting some of the policies, maybe some of the lobbying groups that were hired by some of the big industry people to, whether it was the 64 ounce growler or the three tier distributing system, all that stuff. Um, One thing I've always noticed is that these craft breweries have sort of banded together. Uh, Some like each other more than others, maybe, but... um, it seems like there was like, hey, we're all in it together. 
And and you almost would think that you might see another craft brewery in Florida and see them as competition. Oh yeah, no. No, right? But but you actually saw them more as like almost brothers in arms and like, hey, you know what? If the craft brewing industry if we can support it all across the state um, and more people visit craft breweries, that's a win for all of us. Uh, yes. Um, I, there are, I, I mean, we've done collaboration beers with other breweries um, to, to help promote others in our industry. At, through COVID, we, we, did a pro, we put together a program. Um, it was called a Crawler Crawl. And it was by two crawlers here, by two crawlers at another local brewery, and two crawlers at a third local brewery, and you'd get a special commemorative T-shirt. Um, wow. There's a lot of collaboration in our industry. Um, we want people to go try good craft beer, um, because once you've had solid, good craft beer, you're, you're probably going to drink another one. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you might like something a, a hazy beer that another brewery uh, uh, does um uh, and you might come here and now try something from here uh, and so it's very collaborative in that respect um uh and not not competitive uh the the one thing i will say is the key is um is the good quality um you we really want good quality products in our industry because the same holds true if someone tries something that isn't great the chances that they're going to go try another craft beer are, are slim. So um, I think that our industry standards are pretty high. That's good. Um, yeah, no, and, and, and I mean, it's one of those things. I remember six, seven years ago when craft breweries were really starting to pop up more in Florida. You would just like, you were so excited about like, oh, I'm in Fort Myers. I want to try Fort Myers Brewing Company or I'm in Jacksonville. I want to try Intuition or Bold City. My favorite, I'm a big brown ale guy, uh-huh. and I love, I love uh, Bold City Brewing. And there we go. Uh, I love Bro- Bold City Brewing, uh, the, the, the uh, what is it, the brown, um, cold brown? Uh, I'm They've won awards for that beer, too. Uh, why am I forgetting the name of the beer? Cold No? No. It's the dog. Oh, I, I don't know the name of it, but I yeah. know that they've won awards for their, uh, for their brown ale. Yeah, um, it just blanked on me. But anyway... Um, yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, you, as you go around and you try different, you know, or I'm in an IPA mood today. I mean, I literally said to you when I got here, like, I'm going to refresh. I want a refreshing IPA <laughs> and you've served me three now. So, um, but anyway, the other thing you mentioned earlier was, uh, testing, right? Mm-hmm. Now what's, what's interesting is if anybody's listening to this and they're an entrepreneur, uh, they're interested in innovation, the idea of testing a market is so important. It's kind of cool that in the craft brew industry, you can test right here in your own brewery before you put all this product out to market. um, And you could see, how do people hear like it? And you used another word. You said feedback. Mm -hmm. So anybody that's interested in starting a business of any kind, before you go big, Mm -hmm. you want to test and get feedback Mm -hmm. because you might think, oh, I've got this great idea of whatever business you have, but you might just totally bomb. Yes, I think that's really um, a very um, uh, important point. Uh, we so uh, it was my philosophy that you get to market as quick as possible, as inexpensively as possible. You test your product and then you build from there. And so 
uh, going back to the one of the early conversations we had and our the space um, that we uh, you know opening with fifteen hundred that not. 1,500 square feet and our capacity being 300-ish barrels of beer a year, um, that was that was planned. It's not the way that most people would tell you how to open a brewery, um, but we were the first brewery to, to market um, in Southwest Florida, uh, and, um, and we put our product out there, we got feedback, and we continued to grow from there. And our product line is very different today than it was when we opened. Um, Being the first craft brewery in the area, we didn't lead with an IPA. People weren't, the industry wasn't mature enough. There wasn't even, there wasn't an industry yet um, to to move to that. So we led with a Blondale, um, a a very um, transitional beer from the macro products to craft beer. It's the gateway beer. <laughs> it's, well, and it's called Gateway Gold. <laughs> we <laughs> we we're, are in gateway. Yes, but there were there were <laughs> a funny. handful of meanings to that. Um, uh, but I, I think that that philosophy of um, get open as inexpensively as possible, get to market, test your product, um, it's been, it's worked really well for us. Um, and it's the same thing we did with the seltzer. And I am going to get you to try a seltzer at some point today. We'll see. <laughs> I, I, I think this product's pretty special. Um, uh, There's so, watermelon. Watermelon might get me. Yeah. We've, so we've got um, orange, lemon, lime, cherry, limeade, watermelon, uh, strawberry, lime, and pineapple. Uh, and Well, sounds delicious. It's, it's pretty good. Uh, you had talked you had mentioned awards um, yes. and I, I skated over that. So what, let me, tell, let's tell us about the awards you all have won. Um, so we've won a handful of medals at the best Florida beer awards. Um, uh, I think just about all of our IPAs have won medals at best Florida beer. Um, uh, we have a chocolate stout that has won not only medals at best Florida beer, but it, it was named the second best beer in second best chocolate beer in the world Whoa! Uh, in 2018. Um, they didn't have the competition. It, it's a every other year competition. They didn't have it in 2020 for obvious reasons. Um, but in 2018... So the last it, time they had it, you won it. We won a silver medal. Yeah. And it's called the World Beer Cup. Um, and then um, we've uh, we talked about the um, best large brewery in Florida. Um, our seltzer in the last six months or so um, there was a national um, competition up in Tampa, and we were named the best seltzer um, at that um, festival competition. So, um, yeah, we've, we've racked up a few awards. That's, that's incredible, and congratulations. Thanks. And, uh, you know, that's not just it's, – it's also – so there's a few things going on here with, in the brewery business. Obviously, there's a business of producing beer, but, but, but producing quality beer. Right. And 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 word spreads when you get you have some quality, quality products as well. Um, if you so you've now you it's been eight years since you opened this particular brewery. I know your husband, Rob, started doing some home brewing pretty far back. But if you were to advise somebody today and we're and we're it's it's by today we're. I like to use the word post-COVID. We're not totally post-COVID, but we're, we're post-crazy COVID, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Um, 
if you were advising somebody that said, hey, I, I'm interested in, in starting a brewery. I mean, there's a lot of us out here who love craft beers. Mm-hmm. And as you, as you noted, there's 376 uh, tax-paying brewing, yes. brewing companies in Florida right now in 2021. I assume those are the survivors. But um, what would you say to somebody who's saying, I'm really, I'm really, I, I like this industry. Maybe I've done, maybe I've done a homebrew, maybe not, but wh- where would you get started in, in, in starting this? Um, I think that. And is there still room? I think there's still room. Um, I, I think there's still room for quality craft beer. Uh, I think, the, I think the first place to start is with, um, with the product. And I think that, I would advise uh, starting really lean, getting to market quickly. Um, you have to have a quality product. So if you haven't brewed on your own, you're going to have to hire a brewer. Uh, and that obviously makes it a little more expensive to open. Um, so uh, let me ask you, when you guys started, um, you didn't have to hire a brewer, did you? You had a brewer. It was your husband. Yep. Yes. Uh, yeah. And we opened, I think that most most consultants in the world would say that you probably need seven figures to open a brewery. Uh, we opened with about $50,000. Um, but we're talking 2013. 2013, sure. It was, so, it was an earlier day in the craft brewery business. Yeah, so it's probably shifted a little bit. Um, uh, but I, I think that getting that feedback of your product, and, and I, I'll add that even if you are a home brewer, you've got to get feedback from people that aren't your friends. <laughs> um, uh, because your friends, I mean, you're brewing on your porch or, or in, in your home and you're handing them a beer and it's a free beer and it's, it's good. Um, but what your friend's going to say to you versus what the consumer, the paying consumer is going to say to you might be two very different things. Um, so that's where the tap room, I, I, would, I would advise someone to open with a solid tap room plan and test your product there. You have some solid product to begin with. Um, don't just open with a, with just a marketing plan. Um, but have some solid product to begin with and, um, and then continue to test your product before you go wide out in the market. Uh, And the further you get your product away from your home base, the harder it is to control. Uh, I think about, we send our product out to any restaurant, um, we have very little control over how it's cared for, how it's served. Um, and so we have, to, we have to protect as much as we can. And the further away that we get from this market, the less we can protect in that respect. Well, Jen, uh, I got just a couple last questions for you. Uh, first, what has been the biggest thing you've learned uh, since starting this business? That's a tough one. Um, There's no easy questions. <laughs> I, well, the biggest thing that I've learned really has happened in the last year. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's that with, that we can overcome anything. Um, and I don't, I don't say that. I, I don't say that lightly. Um, and I, and I know that not everyone has come to the other side of 2020 um, with that same experience. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to take that away. And I don't think that it was necessarily anyone's fault 
as to how they how how they endured 2020. Um, but for me, it's given it's given me a ton of confidence. Um, and so I think that learning learning to have confidence like that is um, is it is it a little bit because it was like this was so unexpected, and you were, I mean, you're given so many entrepreneurs itself. I mean, forget 2020. I mean, entrepreneurs have so many obstacles to overcome as, as it is. And you were doing great. You were a successful business. You were growing. You were purchasing land, all these things. And then this huge wrench that nobody saw coming affected everyone at the same time. Yeah. Is it that because you pulled through that? Yes. That you feel like we could endure anything now? Uh, yes. Uh, it's... Um it's given, it really has given me personally an incredible amount of confidence. And the things that I used to worry about, I, it's, it's kind of crazy to think of it this way because I'm, I'm a worrier. I'm, I stay up at night and my brain doesn't turn off and I can see, um, anything that could go wrong. I can see it and I start to try to protect against that. Um, and really the last year has freed me of that because Nobody saw this coming. Um, nobody could have seen it coming. Uh, everything was out of our hands. Not everything. 90% of what was happening was out of our hands and out of our control. Uh, and, uh, and yet here we are on the other side of it. And we're, I, I think that not just Fort Myers Brewing, but Southwest Florida, we are set up to thrive. Uh, and I, am, I, I'm, I said to you earlier, um, I feel really lucky to be not just in Florida, but specifically Southwest Florida. Um, I, I think that our area is um, on the cusp of, of incredibly great things and, uh, and a lot of growth. Um, we live where people vacation and the last year has taught people that they can work anywhere. Um, and why wouldn't I live where, where I vacation? So many people are moving. I mean, when you go back, I, I always reference this book. I really, I really think people have to read this book if you're interested in anything about Florida. A book that was written roughly around 2008, I think is when it was published, called Land of Sunshine, State of Dreams, uh, A Social History of Modern Florida by Gary Mormino. So we're going 13 years back. I remember sitting next to Gary Mormino at an event, and that's when I learned about his book that he just published. And the, the book is basically about the growth of Florida. I mean, that's the theme. The theme is growth. And the book takes place roughly between World War II, about 1945, end of World War II, and roughly the early 2000s. And it's just amazing. Florida, in, at 1945, was like the 19th most populous state. Let me tell you what states were larger in population than Florida. Indiana, Kentucky, and Alabama. Wow. Yeah. So to think about the growth Florida's had in those 60 years, plus now, and then on top of sort of normal growth we've seen from Florida this last year, everyone's coming to Florida. Like you said, if when, when, when people shifted to remote work, it was like, well, if you could remote work, why would you be in a small little apartment in New York city and pay like so much money for it when you could be sitting in a beautiful weather of Florida, even if you have to stay home, at least you're home somewhere beautiful and you don't have to pay like the exorbitant prices of New York or San Francisco. Of course, we've seen like the mayor of Miami has tapped into this. Yeah. Um, with a tweet last fall, he said to some of these Silicon Valley tech companies, how can I help? Right. And boom, people just started coming, coming and coming. 
Um, so you're in that space in Florida and you're in Southwest Florida and you're from Michigan and Southwest Florida is um, very heavily has people that are transplants from the Midwest mm-hmm. of, of uh, the country. And so it's, it's, it is a special place and not everyone's in your position mm-hmm. or in the position of people in Florida uh, to be able to continue to grow a business and to thrive. So you got to be kind of fortunate about the I, environment you're in. Y- yes. And I, we've talked about the shutdowns and that despite the, the perception now, um, our industry was shut down for 10 days shy of six months in um, 2020. In Florida. Uh, but I have to say, I think that our governor has, he has done an incredible job. And I know that that's not, well, some people may disagree, um, but from a business standpoint, the um, he's he's let businesses be responsible and continue to find ways to thrive, and and I think that those two things work together. Uh, there are businesses that weren't necessarily responsible, and I don't know that they'll thrive on the other side of mm-hmm. this. But I think that those of us that took health the health of our patrons and our employees, um, seriously. Uh, and I, I consider our Fort Myers brewing one of those businesses. Um, uh, we've, we are absolutely set up to thrive, um, partly because of the way that Florida has handled the last year. Um, and partly because there's a, no, a lot of people flooding to this area. And I lived in Mich- I grew up in Michigan. I have also lived in California and I, I, I had never thought that I would get to the point where I didn't consider Michigan my home state. Mm. Um, uh, but this last year, I, 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 I can't imagine not being in Florida. Well, you know, it's funny because without getting into like politics too much, but like, like regulation and government policy are part of how businesses uh, can thrive or respond or whatever. Right. And it's like, if, if, if a government is telling you you absolutely have to be shut down, like that totally hampers you. Now, I know that you guys were also beneficiaries of the federal government's response, yes. right, to uh, to helping businesses and that it got you through. But it was it's kind of like, right, it's like the government told you to shut down. Uh-huh. And so the government sort of is in the position of having to provide uh, the assistance to get you through that. But there's many businesses that were provided assistance that weren't able to thrive still because yeah. the, the restrictions were still too overbearing. Now, I want to ask you this because I don't know if this is affecting you, mm-hmm. but we're here at the end of May of 2020. Mm-hmm. And, oh, sorry. 2021. That's the, important. 2021. <laughs> May of 2021. May of 2020 would be a different story. <laughs> May of 2021. And uh, there's a lot of federal uh, assistance programs helping uh, people who are out of work uh-huh. and in oh. some places there's all actually you look around the country right now including in florida and there's a huge demand for actually labor mm-hmm. because so many people are choosing to stay out of the labor force because they're getting a bigger government assistance check mm-hmm. and i like I, I said before i don't really want to get into politics here but the idea is that um, a lot of employers are having a hard time filling jobs or being forced to pay people more to get them off the government dole and and back in, in work. Have you guys experienced that, or have you seen other people experience that? Um, we haven't experienced it as much as others have experienced it. Um, 
And before I jump into that, I want I do want to, you mentioned the federal programs that helped businesses get through. Mm-hmm. Our county actually had some great programs for small businesses. Um, and so I think that the county, I think that all counties and cities in the country got some federal dollars and they got to choose how to spend it. Mm. So our county um, chose to spend it to help um at least partially to help small businesses. And uh, I, I give major kudos to our county commissioners um, for making that choice. There were other programs for um, individuals that were struggling and, and things like that as well. Um, but on the um, uh, the labor front, uh, there are there are some really big um, things that are, that are affecting all industries, the supply chain. Uh, I mean, there's there's a can shortage right now. They think that that will resolve itself maybe in 2025 is what I've heard. Whoa. So uh, the supply chain is is um, really messed up. And then the labor market is um, is another um, element. Uh, we've been we've been lucky in that respect um we're we are short staffed for sure right now um but i think part of that is that normally at this time we're not hiring people because we're coming out of our high season and 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 that is shifting uh, and so we're debating if we should hire more people or or is our high season going to start to taper down at some point um uh, i do know that there are a lot of businesses struggling to find people to work. Um, and I also know that our governor just recently announced that we're going to, the state of Florida is going to opt out of the federal program where they're giving extra money to people who are out of work. And there's, I, I have, there's a time and a place for, I mean, the government had to do something mm-hmm. to help individuals and to help businesses. The government shut down industry um, for for valid reasons, at least for some time. Um, and so you not everyone has months and months of savings. I, I will mm-hmm. say that's another, because of our expansion plans, we had, we had been saving for a long time. Um, and so we dipped into some of those expansion funds, um, but it, it did give me some comfort that we had um, a, a larger cash reserve than we normally would have had um, because we were planning for ex- for an expansion, uh, and it will that will, as a business owner, I will keep more cash um, on hand because there's no telling when this could happen again. Um, uh, there, that's probably my biggest fear coming out of 2020 is now we've seen that the government can suspend licenses. Business licenses. They can change the course of your business um, without any warning. It would obviously take a huge event, but it's now been done and we've lived through it. And so how do you mitigate against that if it were to happen again? Yeah, it's very difficult. Well, Jen, this has been a, a great conversation and I'm so glad that you've been able to share a lot of your story uh, from the beginnings through the struggles and now you're thriving again. Um, and so that's it. Very exciting to see. Um, I have one last question for you. And so the question I ask a lot of our guests, um, and it is, what was your first job in life? My first job, um, by the way, it's a two part job was, a was, 
I was debating if it was as a babysitter or a paper route. And I was debating which one came first, but I think it was the paper route. Okay, hold on. This is <laughs> unbelievable because for those that maybe listen to this inter- com- these conversations on the H of Innovation podcast, I've had way too many people say they've had a paper route. And I'm like, it's 2021. <laughs> like, uh, I think some of the kids these days don't even know what a newspaper is, much That's less true. a paper route. So, um, but, it, but it's weird. It's, I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going to have to write like another book <laughs> that's just going to be like uh, people that have had a paper route. But anyway, you had a paper route. Where was it at? What did you learn from it? Uh, paper route was in Southgate, Michigan. Uh, and I would ride my bike over to the warehouse that had all the papers. And um, I would gather the papers into my little, I mean, it's not really a backpack or a bag. It fits over your bike. And then I'd go and I'd deliver them to... Um, How many papers did you possibly fit in a paper route? Oh, I, I don't remember that at 100? all. Maybe. I did. So I did one street. It was six or seven blocks. Um, Catalpa Where was did the you street. get the papers? Uh, it, uh, it was a little warehouse. So um, you, you, you rode your bike there? Rode, rode my bike there. Picked was up the papers. Was it within like a mile of your house or where was it? Uh, maybe a little more than a mile. Um and yeah, what time home. would you get up in the morning to do this? Uh, so I did the the late route oh, during so, the week, but so there on was the weekends like an evening it was early. Paper. Yeah, I want to say we, I delivered it after school. If I, I mean, it's been so too there, long. So for you, nineteen year olds out there listening to this, there was once a thing called a newspaper. Oh, it I was, was in, it was in print, and not only that, sometimes they had two editions a day. Yes. That you would maybe get an evening paper because there was no such thing as Twitter. Yeah. I was I was much younger than, than 19 when we did this. But I quickly learned. So there were houses that, um, you know, they had specific requirements. Some of them wanted it in the in the mailbox or not in the mailbox because you couldn't open the mailbox. But in the. In that little slot thing. The, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them wanted it on their porch. Some of them didn't care if it was just at the front of the driveway. Um, so but if you did, did, you, it, did you understand each individual customer? Uh, for sure. Oh, and if wow. you did it right, you got, uh, yeah, we had, uh, my brother joined me at, at one point, um, but we had notes. And so uh, if you did it right, you got, you got great t- tips at the holidays. How would, oh, how would they give you the tips? Uh, they would leave an envelope on the door. Oh, so you're going to deliver the paper. There's an envelope with a tip. Uh, yeah. I actually think that I don't think I, I, you're jogging my memory here. Um, but we would, so when we picked up the papers, if there were any inserts, we, the people that were delivering the papers would insert those inserts. So like Thanksgiving time, papers were really heavy and had all of the inserts for all of the Black Friday deals. Um, it was the the delivery person that was putting them in there. And at holidays or certain certain times of the year, you'd also, renewals, you'd also put an envelope in there either for a renewal fee or for um, for a holiday tip. And so we would put that in the paper a couple weeks before the holidays, and um, then they'd leave it out on their door for us. That's amazing. Well, we have somebody alive today that did a paper route. <laughs> no, we have a lot of people alive because I've had a lot of... I can't believe this has been like, like a very common early job was a paper route. I just, it really continues to amaze me that people had paper routes in my lifetime and I'm pretty young, I think. But anyway, <laughs> you just made me feel like I'm about 75. <laughs> no, so. just like, like this happened in my life. Like, yeah, but I remember getting a newspaper in my neighborhood. I don't think we had like 
a young person like yourself getting throwing a paper on her door. I think it was just like some guy in a car throwing a paper out. But you know, anyway, it's 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 really just mind blowing to me. What about that? I mean, other you got that feedback from the people, but what about that? Is there anything about that that sticks with you today that maybe you learned that you apply? I think just the. I mean, it, it was the start of developing a work ethic. You you had to go to the warehouse at a certain time. They closed. So if you didn't get there, people weren't getting their paper. Um, and that, you know, keeping that inf- information from customers, that feedback, um, probably was the start of of the thought process of making sure you get feedback on your, on your product. And I don't think I even realized that until sitting here today. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, so see, we all learn things uh, through these conversations, but it's uh, it's really amazing what you guys have done with the Fort Myers Brewing Company. It remains probably my favorite craft brewery, especially in Florida. And um, it's also been awesome to see you guys grow because I was here. You started in 2013. I don't remember the first time I was here. It was probably like 2015 or something like that. But to see your continual progress and growth, and I can't wait to visit the new, um, maybe 2022, it'll be open. Um, uh, when, when, when it, what, can you give us a little preview? Um, well, I was just going to say, uh, when you were here watching the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl screen was right about where we're sitting right now. And oh, people were right. sitting back here. So none of this equipment was here. What is um, this, by the way? This is our, our brew system. It's actually our third um, brew system. We started with a seven barrel. Um, it was makeshift dairy tanks. My husband built the um, uh, the burner that was underneath these dairy tanks. It was pretty much a large scale homebrew setup. Uh, about a year or so after we opened, we upgraded to a system that looked very similar to this, but was one third of the size. So it was a, a four vessel, 10 barrel system. We thought we would keep that for decades before we had to upgrade again. Um, but in... Um, 2017, I believe it was, we upgraded to this um, four-vessel, 30-barrel brew house. Um, and um, this is what we operate out of. And we probably will be able to keep this for a very long time. It's a workhorse. Well, we will enjo- be enjoying Fort Myers uh, beer, Fort Myers Brewing Company beer for a very long time. And for some of my friends who don't live in Southwest Florida, maybe one day they'll be able to experience it outside of Southwest Florida. But in the meantime... There's no better reason than now to come to Southwest Florida, whether it's for your vacation on some of the best beaches known to mankind, or uh, maybe, maybe some people are, are in California or New York or Illinois or somewhere listening to this and said, I need another reason to get to Southwest Florida. Might as well move there because it's growing. And uh, I'll tell you what, if you don't get that land now, Fort Myers Brewing Company might be might be sweeping it up soon enough. So thank you, Jen Gratz, for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thank you. I left it all for a while so I could deal with it. The nine to five and weight of my rocky relationship. But then I met this girl on a
Just leave me some extra. 